We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. Now today, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me, please, to the 20th chapter of the Proverbs. Proverbs 20, and I want you also to turn to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 20 and Proverbs 23. Now today, I'm going to speak to you from the text that I call to your mind in Proverbs 20 and verse number 1. Many of you already know the theme of my message for this hour. Wine is a mocha, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Somebody says the Bible has nothing to say about strong drink, how naive, how foolish, how silly some people can be, and how, how vain their arguments can be. Liquor may have many defenders, but strong drink has no defense. There's no justifiable reason why a person should use strong drink. None. Now, there's a lot of argument. We've heard a great deal of argument about uh, social drinking and so on. I get so uh, upset when I hear the propaganda uh, set forth by radio and television. I heard uh, an announcement last night as, as I was writing. Coming out of Washington, these things come out of Washington. They was, they're supposed to be uh, absolutely impartial and, and scientific, and accurate, and so on. But out of Washington comes the idea that uh, alcoholism is a disease. And they go on to say, everybody knows that. Words like that, you see. As if to say, if you don't think it's a disease, you haven't got good sense. Uh, alcoholism is a disease, they say. And uh, these folk are sick people. The liquor crowd is telling me and you that the man that's an alcoholic, they call it, or drunkard is a sick man, and therefore society ought to take care of him. Don't blame the liquor business. They're not responsible because he's a sick man. Don't blame the uh, beer can because he's a sick man. Don't blame the liquor bottle and the liquor distilleries and the liquor stores because the man that becomes a drunkard, they would have you believe, is a sick man. Now that's a strange way of thinking. Uh, if, if somebody in this church building today had smallpox and all of you are inoculated against it and none of you have it, none of you would have it because of the inoculation. But if we were not inoculated against smallpox and somebody had smallpox in this building and I knew it, I'd dismiss this congregation right now. And I'd say you better go home, folk, and uh, you better take some precautions because smallpox is a terrible, contagious disease, and it's a deadly disease. It leaves uh, either dead or maimed or crippled. And we'd get away from that smallpox. We'd not expose ourselves to it, not at all. In fact, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd take our children and rush out of the building if we thought somebody in the building had smallpox. Well, that'd be the reasonable thing and the practical thing, and every good mother uh, and dad would do that, and we'd... Uh, we do, do it not as to insult the person that has smallpox. The fact is, if a person knew he had smallpox, he'd want you to do that. If I knew I had smallpox, I wouldn't be here. And if you knew you had smallpox, you'd have enough respect for your family and your neighbors and your friends until you just wouldn't come. You, you wouldn't expose your brother, your friend, or neighbor to that awful disease. So we, we, we quarantine. We get rid of it. Now, wait a minute. If, if alcoholism is a disease, why don't we quarantine the thing that causes it? Now, to me, that's as logical and as practical as it can be. 
That argument is just as logical as it can be. If alcoholism is a disease, now I'm using their argument. I, I think it's more than a disease. I think it's a sin. I think it needs to be purged in the blood of the Lord Jesus. But if it is a disease, to use their arguments, then it seems the best way in the world to get rid of that plague and that disease would be able to be to close up the bare joints and the liquor dives. Certainly we'd not advertise uh, a thing that would cause a disease. We'd not advertise it. And yet the newspapers advertise it and the radio advertise it and the television advertises beer, which is a, a milder form of the same deadly thing. And uh, so we, we ought to get rid of the thing. If it causes disease, let's get rid of it. Now that's not practical to, uh, to brainwash the American public into believing that alcoholism is a disease. Therefore, society and the medical profession is responsible to cure it. While at the same time, the liquor crowd is pouring down the source of that disease, pouring into the souls of men, pouring into the bodies of men, pouring into the bodies of women, making alcoholics out of them. Now, if it's a disease, I think we'll do something about it and get rid of the thing that causes that disease. No, the truth is, the Bible has a great deal to say about alcoholism or drunkenness as a moral problem. It's not only a, a medical problem, if it is a disease, but it's a moral problem much more than it could ever be a medical situation. It's a moral problem. The truth is, I don't know of a doctor in the world that can cure alcoholism. I, if, if there was any doctor in the world that could prescribe a drug or a medicine or a treatment that was a guaranteed cure for drunkenness, I don't know it. And I think I would have heard about it if there's such a doctor. Now they have certain things they can do that might help for a while, but the doctor in the medical profession in the scientific world has no cure for this, what they call a disease. But I know a savior who can deliver and cure instantaneously. Therefore, I submit that it's a moral thing. It's a thing of sin rather than a thing of physical disease. The savior can deliver. I've known men who were delivered that quick and saved instantly from drunkenness and from alcoholism. Oh, it's a moral problem. Now I want to note several things with you today about this problem. First of all, I have a few statistics I'd like to read to you. Now sometimes statistics mean nothing. And we take them in one ear and out the other. But I have these uh, in, in print. Some of you might want a list of them after I give them for your own reference. If so, I'll be glad to provide it if you'll let me know. If you'll write to me or if you'll ask for it, I'll be glad to send you these statistics. Did you know that in America now, there are 36 million Americans harmed directly or indirectly because of whiskey and problem drinking. Now these 36 million harmed in automobile accidents, harmed in fights, harmed in brawls, directly or indirectly by, by alcohol, by whiskey and problem drinkers, drinkers every year. In America, there are nine million drunkards and problem drinkers. Nine million. That means that in America there are more than three times as many drunkards as people who live in South Carolina. Now that's a whole host of poor sin benighted derelicts. Human derelicts they are. They are a liability to themselves. They are a liability to their families. 
They're a liability to the law enforcement officer. They're a liability to the taxpayer. They're a liability to industry, the textile plant, the store, whatever they may be engaged in. Nine million drunkards, they call them alcoholics, drunkards, the Bible calls them, and problem drinkers in America. There are 200,000 new drunkards made every year. 200,000. Now, men don't, don't start out as a drunkard. You know that. The liquor crowd, they, seek their, uh, they do their best to brainwash me and you. But we have enough knowledge. We can see. We can discern. We can think. We know better than to believe that a man starts out as a drunkard. In all these 31 years that I've been pastoring and dealing with people, I have never met one that I thought started out as a drunkard. Now, I've met many drunkards. And I've dealt with many drunkards in my day. And I guess I'll keep on dealing with them. But I have never met one but what one time was not a drunkard. One time he was a social drinker. One time he was a moderate drinker. One time he was a beer drinker, a cocktail drinker. And later on became what they call an alcoholic or what the Bible calls a drunkard. Now there are 200,000 brand new ones made every year in America. 200,000 of mothers' sons and mothers' daughters made drunkards in America every year. Not in a generation, but every year. Nine million of them problem drinkers alive in America today. Now that's a plague. If there was nine million cases of influenza in America right now, every church in America would have the doors closed by decree out of Washington. We would not be allowed to assemble for preaching in Sunday school if there was 9 million cases of flu in America right now. If there was 9 million cases of any other kind of disease, we'd call that a plague of magnitude. And it would be a plague of magnitude for 9 million people to be plagued by any one thing at one time. And yet, 9 million drunkards. And the newspapers uh, say it's all right. The medical profession... Uh, smiles at it and the comedians joke about it and church people ignore it nine million plagued with drunkenness and 200,000 new ones made every year of the uh, of 50,000 people killed in traffic highways in America last year 28,000 of those plus died with alcohol in their blood at the time of the accident. 50,000 people died on the highways of America last year. More than 28,000, that's more than half of them, died with blood, with alcohol content in their blood. Now anybody with any practical reality well knows that the highways will never become safe until this is solved. More than half the people who died on the highways last year died with liquor in their body. 500,000 injuries are suffered in automobile accidents every year as a result of problem drinkers. 500,000 injuries. People maimed with broken legs and broken arms and brain concussions. 500,000 of your family and mine maimed up on the highways every year as a result of drinking. I mean, not accidents, but drinking.
34,000, or more than half of the 60,000 non-highway accident, accidental deaths in America had whiskey involved. Now that accidental death means a, a death by accidental shooting, or death uh, on a boating trip, or death on a hunting trip, any kind of an accidental death. Over half of the 60,000 people who died accidental deaths in America last year died as a result of whiskey. That means that many things that we call accidents are not accidents at all, but the result of problem drinkers. A drinker causes accidents. A man that's under the influence of whiskey can't avoid or foresee an accident. And he's the cause of the accidents. And more than half the people that died, not by accidents in automobiles, but uh, any other kind of accidental death, died as a result of drinking. 11,000 death certificates annually list alcoholism as the cause of deaths. 11,000 people annually, the doctor writes on the death certificate. And when you die, or when your neighbor dies, or your relative dies, some doctor is going to have to fill out a death certificate. The mortician does not embalm that body or bury that body without a death certificate. And somebody will have some MD has to write that death certificate and sign his name on it. And every year, last year, 11,000 death certificates had alcoholism wrote by an MD and his name signed to it. 11,000 people died of this disease they call drunkenness. I mean, not an accident. I mean, died on their beds or died in the street or died in the gutter, died in a hotel room. And the result of it, alcoholism, 11,000 last year. Two million arrests each year in America for public drunkenness. Two million. Forty percent of all non-traffic arrests made by the law enforcement officers is made as a result of whiskey. Two million arrests each year for public drunkenness in America. That's a scourge and a, and a plague indeed. No wonder our jails are filled. No wonder our penal institutions have failed. Listen to this, will you? $21 billion plus. Nobody in this building knows how much that is. You can't imagine how much that is. It'd be difficult for me and you to imagine how much $21 million is. But $21 billion plus last year was spent for alcoholic beverages by Americans. $21 billion last year for beer, wine, and whiskey. Think of that. Not $21 million, billion, billion spent for beer, wine, and whiskey in America last year. Now that's a terrible thing, a scourge. And it's no small wonder that you have, uh, you have uh, a poverty program, poverty problem. No wonder the welfare rolls are being filled. A poor man in America can't afford to drink. You can't deny that. I said a poor man, an average man in America, can't afford to drink. Now, he may drink, but if he does, somebody's going to suffer. He can't afford to drink. Now, the millionaires might be able to afford it, and the wealthy might be able to afford it, 
But I see the average man, I couldn't afford to drink if I wanted to drink. I couldn't afford to drink. If I was a drinker, an average drinker, I would have to leave something unpaid or something not enjoyed. If I was a drinker, I'd not be able to own my home or an automobile or something I couldn't enjoy because that money would be required for whiskey. Now, it's a sad thing. And the most foolish thing, I want all the young people to listen to me. I say the most foolish thing and the craziest thing I've ever heard of in all my lifetime is for a young person to spend $5 for a pint of whiskey or whatever it might cost. Is the craziest thing I ever heard of. And a man or woman, a boy or girl, that'll take $5 of hard earned money and buy beer or whiskey with it, you need to have your head examined. I know the condition of your heart and I'm suspecting there's something wrong with your head. Craziest thing I ever heard of. How in the world could a man buy himself a home and spend that kind of money for whiskey? $21 billion last year. Now you could, you could figure a little bit if you had the time and there are 225 million people in America about. Divide 225 million into 21 billion and you could get a, an average figure of how much per capita is being spent in America for whiskey. And you'd find it to be a staggering amount of money being spent per capita for whiskey in America every year. Listen to this. The problem drinkers and drunkards in America cost the taxpayers, me and you, $15 billion a year in time lost off the job, in health and welfare costs, in property damage. The drinking people, the drinking public of America cost America, the taxpayers, $15 billion every year. Now, I question whether uh, we're uh, making money off the liquor problem and the li liquor traffic like they said we would. How in the world can you make any money off, the, off legalized beer, wine, and whiskey when it's costing us $15 billion a year to take care of the damage? No, no, we're not. Uh, we're losing money. The liquor crowd's the only people making money off liquor. And the public is not making money off whiskey. The government's not making money off whiskey. And certainly the man that drinks it's not making money. He's a fool for drinking it. $15 billion spent every year, lost every year in America as a result of drinking. Listen to this. 15% of the patients, the 15% of the 400,000 patients in mental hospitals in America right now are there because of drinking. 15% are in mental hospitals, not born mentally deranged, but in mental hospitals because of strong drink in America right now, 15%. Now, if you ever visit Columbia and go to the mental hospital, you see some pitiful sights, and yet you'll see one of the finest hospitals in the world, I guess, where some of the best doctors in the world are at the state hospital in Columbia. I've visited the hospital many times, and it's a tremendous place, and a good place, and there are many people who need to be there. I mean, they're born uh, mentally deranged or sometimes they become mentally deranged beyond their control and that hospital is there for people like that but here's a sad thing 
The last time I was there, I noticed this also. How many drunkards they've got in Columbia right now? I had a man that I, he found out I was from Greenville. I was visiting a ward where there must have been 50 people. And this man found out I was from Greenville. He was from Pickens County and I've forgotten his name. But he begged me with tears to contact his people. And I said, what are you here for? And he admitted to me that he was a drunkard. And he was committed to that institution by his family because he wouldn't let liquor alone. Perfectly able-bodied young man, younger than I am, in the institution of Columbia, being cared for by my tax dollars and yours. Committed to the institution, not because he had a nervous breakdown or because he was mentally deranged or born mentally inferior, but committed to that institution because of whiskey. 15% of every person in all the state hospitals, mental institutions in America, are there today because of strong drink. And the same thing is so with the general hospital in our city. If the truth was known, I'll guarantee that many of the patients in the general hospital right now are there getting over a drunk. Or there's a result of drinking one or the other right now. If you clear all those beds out, you'd have all the beds you'd need for the people that are really sick and for the aged people who really need to be taken care of. Listen to this. Over half the states report drunkenness, the most frequent diagnosis of the first admission to a state hospital. One third of all suicides committed in America are whiskey related. One-third of every person that commits suicide does it because he's under the influence of whiskey. One-half of all the homicides, every time a crime is assault or with a deadly weapon, or every time a person is maimed or killed in a homicide, half of all of those in America every year is related to whiskey and the result of whiskey. The police and the state troopers will have a, a day off if somehow the liquor crowd could be dried up. Their work would be much less if the liquor crowd could be handled and channeled. Here's something that will startle you. There's been a steady increase in the number of drunkards admitted to the state hospitals every single year. A steady increase. You know, if, if the liquor crowd is so insistent that their wares be sold to my children and my grandchildren, your children, your grandchildren, and to people like you, then it seems to me they ought to take care of the damage. They ought to pick up the tab at the hospital. They ought to pay for the derelicts they make. But as far as I know, they make no contribution to taking care of the drunkards. We taxpayers have to do that. And a large percentage of the tax dollar you pay every year is paid to take care of the drunkards that the distillers make in our land. Now that's not right. That's just not morally right. It's not right for me to have to pay taxes to take care of drunkards when I've never drank a can of beer in my life. It's not right for me to have to pay taxes to take care of drunkards when I've never bought a, can of, a bottle of whiskey in my life. And yet a great percentage of my tax dollar goes to take care of what the liquor industry does in the way of ruining people. Here's something that will jar you to your teeth. The average life expectancy is from 10 to 12 years shorter.
for a drunkard than it is for any other normal person. And I want to say to you that drunkenness is not normal. Well, I know they're saying everybody drinks in America these days. That's not so. I'm preaching now to more than a thousand people in this auditorium. And there may be some in this building, God forbid. But if there's any in this building that uses strong drink, it's only a half a dozen or so. Here's a thousand people plus that don't drink. And I wish the liquor crowd put that in their pipes and smoke that a while. And not only do I don't drink, but I know what drink does. I know the ruin of it. And as long as I got breath in my lungs, I'm going to cry aloud against it. Now, if you want to die prematurely from 10 to 12 years prematurely, just start out on the liquor habit and you'll probably wind up 10 years earlier in the grave. Now, if the Lord be pleased, I only live three score and 10 years. Yet by reason of strength, I wouldn't mind living four score years. I certainly don't want to cut my life short because of liquor. I look back at my ministry and I think about the number of boys that I've buried who died in an automobile accident as a result of liquor. Some mother's heart was broken, some family circle was disrupted, and that crowd of money, greedy, uh, distillery uh, owners uh, laugh in their glee and advertise in their newspapers and promote in their radio and television ads, and your children of mine die. I resent that. I'm against that. Many a boy we buried in Greenville that would be alive today if it wasn't for this satanic thing that I'm talking about. If you want to die prematurely, one of the best ways to do it is to start out drinking. But who wants to die 10 years prematurely? God forbid, I'd like to live to be an old man, I'd like to have a measure of health in my old age, if God be pleased. Who wants to die as a young man? And yet most of those that die in the automobiles, young people, got whiskey in their, in their blood when they die. Here's a final note. It'd be an impossible thing to estimate the human suffering in America related to whiskey. It'd be impossible to estimate the number of broken homes and deserted families and often children as a result of whiskey. You would be, be no way in the world to calculate, calculate the human suffering that whiskey causes. Now, me and you could leave this church building today and go out in Greenville and go up and down the streets and the lanes of our city, house after house at random. We'd be startled and amazed how many of those homes are broken and divided and unhappy and made an earthly hell all because of whiskey. And we'd be surprised how many children in Greenville today are made orphaned because daddy gets killed or mother gets killed. Because, because of whiskey. Uh, how many homes are broken? By the divorce courts that would not be broken if daddy didn't drink or mother didn't drink. Folk, listen to me. The worst scourge America faces today and the greatest danger your children face is whiskey. And in all probability, some of the fine young people that sit before me right now will wind up in a drunkard's grave. God have mercy and God forbid. And there's not one mother or dad in this building that wants it that way. And yet that liquor crowd with their subtle advertising and their deceiving advertising will capture one of your children of mine. And in all probability, one of these young folk 
that now hear me preach will fill a drunkard's grave. It'd be an act of mercy if God could let that young person die right now and go on to heaven rather than live to fill a drunkard's grave to go to hell. Who does it? Church doesn't do that. <laughs> but you say they're sick. They're born sick. Don't come to me with that junk. I hear it on the radio until I get sick of it and I turn the radio off when it comes on. I don't believe a word of that. A man's not born a drunkard. A man's made a drunkard by his drinking. And the reason a man becomes a drunkard is because drinking uh, is a narcotic. And he becomes addicted to it just like a man becomes addicted to dope. Not a bitter difference as far as the way it works is concerned. And people that are drunkards are made drunkards. They're not born drunkards. They're made drunkards. And the liquor crowd makes them. And the white politicians make them. And the compromising preachers that won't cry aloud are responsible for it. Well, now, by the grace of God, we're going to cry aloud against this thing. You say, why, why are you preaching like you're preaching today? I'm preaching this way because I have about three or four hundred young people at my feet right now. And I don't want any of you to die a drunkard's death. I'm preaching this way because I have several of my own grandchildren here. And I want my little grand boys to remember that old granddad said drinking was wrong and sinful. And now do I want my grandchildren to remember that granddad said that. But I want your children and your grandchildren to remember that the preacher at Tabernacle said it was from the devil. All of it's from the devil. Now they may go ahead and drink, but they're not going to do it because I condone it. You say, well, I don't like that kind of preaching. Well, that's the kind I do every once in a while at Tabernacle. You can find a lot of churches where you won't get it, so help yourself. Now I want you to look at the next scripture I turned to your mind, uh, called to your mind a moment ago, in Proverbs 23, verse 29. Now my text in Proverbs 20, I read that to you a while ago. Wine is a mocha, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now if you're not wise, then you're unwise. And that means if you're deceived by strong drink, you're a fool. You say, you ought to call me a fool. Well, the Bible said you're unwise. And for fear you might not understand what unwise means, I just tell you what it means. You're just a fool. You haven't got good sense. Man drank whiskey, hadn't got good sense. That's right. Amen. Now look at verse 29, Proverbs 23. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without a cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Now let's look at those questions in verse 29. Who hath woe? Now no real, uh, reasonable, sensible person would, would want woe in his life. Woe is a word that means trouble and distress. And who wants that? Uh, he that would love life and see good days, said Peter in 1 Peter 3.10. And that we, you and me, want that in our lives. Uh, see good days, love life, see good days. I want that. I enjoy life. I enjoy life. Life hasn't always been a mountaintop, but I've enjoyed living. God's been so wonderful. I stepped out this morning, saw that beautiful sky and the beautiful breeze and the nice brisk atmosphere. And 
And I was driving the church, I said to my wife, isn't it good to have Sunday? Praise God. Just good to be alive. Hallelujah. He that will love life and see good days. Now, I don't want any woe. Woe. That's awful. Have you ever seen anybody ring in their hands? Have you ever seen anybody with their face buried in their hands? Have you ever seen a man sob? I'm not talking about a man crying. I'm talking about a man sobbing. There's a difference between tears and sobs. Have you ever seen a man sob? Have you ever seen a woman sob? Now, sometimes tears don't move me, but I've never seen anybody sob what it didn't move me. Now, who wants that? I could tell you story upon, a sto uh, upon story uh, of men that I've dealt with as drunkards who fall at my feet and sob. I don't mean cry, sob and beg me, preacher, can't you help me? Can't you help me? I've had it happen in this community where I now pastor. Many times down through the years. Can't you help me, preacher? Who wants that kind of life? Who hath woe? Who has sorrow? Now, a man would have to be a mentally deranged person to enjoy sorrow. Sometimes we have sorrow beyond our control. Uh, we buried this young man's little boy the other day, and I felt for you. I prayed for you. Moved me. Hurt me. When I saw you weeping at the graveside of that little boy. Who wants sorrow? Nobody. I, my heart's been broken. My wife and I know what sorrow is. I, some, my wife goes to the cemetery sometimes and leaves fresh flowers. And I know when she's been there when I go. Sometimes I go to bear somebody else and I go by that spot of ground. And I've stood there many times and wept. I can't say that I enjoy that. Nobody enjoys sorrow. Aren't you glad life's not all sorrow? But who has sorrow? Who in all the world has sorrow like a drunkard has? There's not a person in this building that's experienced sorrow like a drunkard experiences. And then who hath contentions? Always arguing, always uh, in trouble, always fussing, always fighting is what it means. Who hath contentions? I want to walk the streets of Greenville and be able to say, good morning. How do you do, brother? Good to see you. I don't have to walk the streets of Greenville with a gun in my side. And, and with enemies passing by me, I want to I get along with people. I don't want to be contentious and have contention. But the poor old drunk, he's, he had a fight down the street and walked up the street, had another fight, and went over to this place and had a fight. And he's got a dozen people looking for him. And all 12 of them want to kill him, want to shoot him, want to fight him, want to beat him up. Who enjoys that? Take a strange person mentally to enjoy that kind of life. Oh, they put it on the TV, but... You're foolish if you, if you lust for that kind of thing. Who wants that kind of life? And then again, who hath babblings? I mean, just, say, just talking at random, just talking, just talking and saying nothing. You don't know what to say. You can't think. Your mind's all befuddled. Your tongue is loose. And you just babble and just run your tongue. Say nothing. There's not a person in this building that would enjoy sitting down with a drunk for a conversation. I can't imagine anything to me more terrible than have to sit down with a drunk for an hour and listen at him babble, run his tongue. You don't want that. Poor wife, God have mercy upon a wife that's got a babbling, drunken husband. And he'll come home running his tongue. She has to listen to that all the night. 
God have mercy upon children that have a mama that stays drunk. I, I've gotten mail from young girls and they say, pray for my mother, she's a drunkard. Isn't that terrible? For children have to listen to mama run a tongue, babble. Who hath babblings? Arguments, cursing. While a drunkard will argue with you, he'll fuss with you, he'll curse you. You know, he'll curse his mother. A drunkard will curse his wife. A drunkard will curse his own children. Who wants that? You say, I like that. You're a nut. You're crazy if you like that. Then look at the next question. Who hath wounds without a cause? Now to have a wound for a cause is a noble thing. You go to the army and defend our country and come home maimed, having lost a leg or an arm, you don't have to bow your head to anybody. That's a noble thing. And we all respect you for that. You have a wound because of a reason. But think of the multitudes of people that have wounds without a cause. Uh, think of the people that get drunk and get in a knife fight. And get cut up. And I've seen people scarred up. Who hath wounds without a cause? Nobody in the world would enjoy that. Surely nobody enjoys that. And yet people have that. When they don't have to have that. And then who hath redness of eyes? Now you can usually tell a man whether he's a drinker or not. By looking at his eyes. Sometimes a man that drinks pretty steady will wear tinted glasses. Not all the time, but sometimes he'll wear tinted glasses. Try to cover his red eyes. You can't drink without having redness of eyes. No way in the world. You can buy all kind of a medicine put in it, but you have redness of eyes if you drink much. Your face will become flushed. And a man that's used to dealing with people that drink can recognize it that quick. A policeman can look at it that quick and tell you. Now you may, I have a red complexion. And when I, somebody said, preach, I'd love to see you get excited in the pulpit because you get red all over. But mine's not the red of strong drink. Mine's the red of the grace of God. But who hath redness of eyes without a cause? Who hath redness of skin as a result of whiskey? Who wants that? Nobody wants that. Now here's the answer, verse 30. They that tarry long at the wine and become a wino. That's the saddest thing you ever saw. Poor derelict, human derelict of a man or woman walking down the streets, filthy and dirty, no place to pillar his head, no table to enjoy good food from. Just a bottle of wine. All he wants is a bottle of wine. And he dies early and fills a drunkard's grave. That's sad, brother. They that tear along at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, not just regular wine, but you mix it and spike it and make it stronger. Look not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Now, I want you to remember verse 32, and I'll close. I wanted to say some other things, but time is gone. Listen to verse 32. At the last, at the end of a life of a drinker, let it be wine, let it be beer, let it be strong drink, whiskey. Makes no difference. At the end, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. And you can't get by. You just can't. Oh, but preacher, I'm a social drinker and I drink cocktails and I, I, I drink when everybody else is drinking, but I never become a drunkard. Every one of these nine million drunkards in America right now 
has said the same thing. And you may be the next one in line to become a confirmed drunk. At the end it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. The most dangerous thing you've ever done, the most damning, destructive thing you've ever participated in is strong drink. Now you better let it alone. Just better let it alone. <laughs> but I won't be socially recognized if I don't drink cocktails with the crowd. And if I don't drink beer with the crowd, they, uh, I'd rather not be socially recognized and live 10 years longer. I'd rather not be socially recognized and have a nice home to live in, a nice automobile to drive. You're going to pay a price for your drinking now. You, you may think you're smart, but you're going to pay a price for it. Not only in physical loss and spiritual degradation, but you're going to pay a price in dollars and cents. It's going to cost you something to drink. Now you may disregard my sermon and all my admonitions to you and go on to become a drunkard but you'll pay the price as sure as you do. No man can get by. I beg all the young people to remember the warnings of the scriptures and remember the preacher. Don't you dare start this damnable, destructive habit of drinking. If you've begun it, if you've done some drinking, I pray that you'll purpose in your heart right now that you drank your last can of beer. I tell you what do, the next time you're tempted to drink a can of beer, it'll cost you, I guess, 40 or 50 cents. I don't know what it costs. I don't buy it. I'm glad I don't. But whatever it costs, you just bring me that 40 cent and say, Preacher, put that to the mission program of Tabernacle. And everybody concerned will be a thousand times better off if you'll do that. Tell you the truth about it, if you'll bring me the 40 cent, I'll put 40 cent to it. And we'll give 80 cents. Tell you the truth, if you'll bring me 40 cents, I'll put 60 cents and we'll put a dollar to the mission work. Which would be far better for you if you'd do that than to buy a can of beer with it and blight your soul into hell. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, I brought the message you put on my heart to bring. It hadn't been a pleasant thing to talk about this awful scourge. And yet we might as well refuse to think about cancer as to ignore the fact of drunkenness in America. Cancer's a reality. Some of our dear members now have cancer and our heart goes out to them. And so is drunkenness a reality. I've dealt with drunken homes and drunken fathers and drunken mothers and drunken sons and daughters. And I know what a terrible scourge it is in America. And God forbid a single person that heard me preach today would yield to the temptation to become a social drinker. But Lord God, give us some Daniels among our young people who refuse to drink the wine which the king drank. And Lord knows we need young people today, Lord, in this wicked drinking generation. They'll stand up like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and refuse to drink the wine of this generation. I pray for all the young people and for the adults. I pray for the hundreds that heard me by the radio. Some by the radio. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. 
If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.